0: What is up everybody? Welcome into this Saturday episode of Flippin' Bats, which means Saturday with Smoltz, the Hall of Famer for the Atlanta Braves. John Smoltz is about to join me. We got some great questions this week. I heard him on the, broadcast, the Fox broadcast last weekend talking about the Yankees and Dodgers game and a lot about Garrett Cole and his complete revamp as a pitcher from Pittsburgh to then Houston and now what we see in, with him and the Yankees. Uh, and how he's completely changed the way that he's pitched and how it's changed the course of his career. So, gonna talk to him all about that, which is a really cool topic, I think. As well as, Garrett came out of that game from cramping. So, have to ask John, the funniest or most ridiculous reason he had to come out of a game. And the stories? are awesome. I was in tears laughing at many points throughout this conversation. This is gonna be a lot of fun. And lastly, of course, had to ask about the heckling that he's heard throughout the, the course of his career. We see Fernando Tatis right now in pretty much every away stadium he's going to. A lot of heckling, a lot of chants, a lot of funny chants at times, but he's handling it extremely well. So we're going to ask John Smoltz about the best heckling he and the Braves ever heard on the road, and get some great stories there as well. So this one is going to be a blast. Without further ado, let's welcome in now, John Smoltz. It's a blowout.
1: 8 inning, 10-3. Faces are loaded for Verlander, who waits out the real pitch. He swings, and it's a high-fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already.
0: All right, and I am pumped, as always, to be joined by John Smoltz. John, first off, how are you? How was the weekend last weekend in L.A.? Big series out there.
1: Yeah, big series. Two teams that are uh, lined up to maybe, just maybe, face each other in the World Series. You don't get those kind of matchups in a regular season. I asked each manager if the players kind of get juiced for that. And you're not normal if you don't get juice for that kind of series.
0: I feel like that series was kind of like the the ultimate nod to the new schedule, right? We're going to get that series once a year now, which I believe the game of baseball needs. I mean, it just felt a little bit bigger. How have you so far liked the new scheduling that everybody is going to play everybody?
1: I love it. And I think that's why, you know, when teams start shaking out what their future is going to be as far as we got some teams going in the wrong direction, let's be honest, and they're (laughs) hopefully going to be relevant soon. But with that brings about more balance. I think that's why you see the National League so balanced. Uh, You don't feast off of a particular division if they're weak, like the AL Central's weak. Um, There's more balance in the schedule now. You won't have these big as – I don't think you'll have as big a runaways divisionally. Uh, unless it's an isolated division where the just the other teams aren't good enough. but I love it. I've been begging for this and uh, I think every team will and every city, will benefit from seeing the stars on every team at least once every two years.
0: So I was listening to you talk on Saturday about one of those stars. Garrett Cole was pitching for the Yankees. And it's very interesting hearing you talk about the breakdown of his career being in Pittsburgh, then to Houston, and now with New York. But basically the the transition for him and his career and the way he pitched in Pittsburgh and then how it differed when he got to Houston, which is pretty much the pitcher we see now with Garrett Cole. Um Let's talk about that. What did you see the difference of him uh, with the Pirates to when he he got traded?
1: Well, he's a unique pitcher where you couldn't do this to everybody, meaning you can't teach pitches if you either have it in your arsenal or not. He had a great two-seam fastball coming out of college. He did not have the stuff he has now because of the philosophy that the Pittsburgh Pirates were kind of implementing. They wanted the ball on the ground. It worked. He threw strikes. But my point about Garrett Cole is mechanics were so good that I think he could become any kind of pitcher he wanted to become. And once he got to Houston, they turned him into more of a four-seam, high curveball and slider pitcher. And, of course, all of the numbers went through the roof and strikeouts. I love the fact that early on I had these discussions with certain people who seemed to know – analytically why he wasn't going to develop into the pitcher he was because he didn't strike out enough guys. I said, you, you're not understanding the scope of pitching and what he, he's doing in Pittsburgh. The strikeouts will come. Give him time, and he will come. He can throw to every quadrant, and, of course, the rest is history. It is a no-brainer for Garrett Cole. Um, we've seen pitchers leave Pittsburgh and really turn their careers around. I'm not saying Pittsburgh was all wrong in their philosophy. It worked for them but i think for a pitcher who has the capabilities of of mixing and matching in the strike zone with stuff we've seen what the guys have done since they've left and it's been a totally different um <laughs> he's been a totally different pitcher since then
0: would it and obviously not to like you know blame the pirates here but from their aspect when you have a pitcher like garrett cole where the astros get a hand on him and say wow, clearly you can be this guy, you should be this guy, and you'll flourish as this guy. With, when it comes to when the Pirates had him, why did why did they not want him to be that guy? Or why did they want him to stick to being a two-seam sinker type pitcher?
1: I think part of it was to get him to pitch deeper into the game, use the defense that they created, and use the abilities that he had to sink the baseball. That's my point. Not everybody can sink a baseball. So you can't take, let's say, one of the best four-seamers in the game and go to a club and say, we're going to make you a two-seam fastball guy. It may not work. That doesn't have – he may not have that capacity in his game. This is what Garrett Cole was so unique. And, you know, we have pitchers in the example that they made reformation changes based on their arsenal, but it's not universal. Like, this is not a universal – thing that can happen to everybody what I saw in Garrett Cole was clean mechanics the ability to throw strikes and you could teach him other things he could learn other things and he certainly did and man I mean the record the statistics the numbers they've all gone through the roof and it's not like you said just to blame the organization that was having him do xyz it's just more information and more uh, he expanded in his career as he got
0: older can you remember from, from your days playing ever coming across a pitcher that himself kind of went through a complete change and became a different type of pitcher? Because as you mentioned, not everybody can do it. Not everybody has the stuff, the mechanics. Can you remember a pitcher that throughout the course of their career kind of became this different pitcher from what they once were?
1: I think there's a lot of examples somewhere else that maybe, you, you know, you, I don't have familiar knowledge with, but in our organization, we, we basically taught a lot of things that um, t- took a picture. Like I'll never forget getting John Burkett, you know, and he came over and with our philosophy, he flourished for a couple of years. Kevin Millwood went away from sinker and went to four, more four seamers and threw a slider and he started to take off. Um, Charlie Morton um is an example yeah. that you know from afar that is a, is a good example of what he's been able to do uh we 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 think that if you just stay stubborn to one thing it works for everybody that's not true but you know when we got Tim Hudson he was a heavy sinker and utilized the curveball and, and slider and you evolve as a pitcher and sometimes you evolve quicker with a different set of eyes than you will um if you're stuck one place and Again, baseball is about becoming your own pitching coach as fast as you can. We don't do that anymore as, a, as an organizational philosophy in, as a whole. We've got so much information that we've kind of dictated to these young players what they must do based on the information. There's value in that. But some guys might get away from their strengths. Um, Kyle Wright comes to mind with the Atlanta Braves. He was bounced around. He went from number one pick to in the bullpen, in the minors, and then all of a sudden you saw last year what he was able to do. He went back to his strengths. He went back to that two-seamer and that curveball. And those are things that, you know, again, are not universal for everybody, but when you click and get somebody to believe in their stuff and go to their strengths, they've got a chance to be a, a, a great pitcher. But if you convince them, look at Wheeler. You know, Wheeler went away from some of the things that analytically they were telling him to do, and he got back on on being a beast again. Um, You know, Nola's going through some of that a little bit. With so much information, sometimes you get confused, you get lost, you try to be all to everybody, and you have to realize what you're good at and utilize that information and discard some of it because it can get you uh, off track.
0: What was the Braves sort of – Way You said Burkett comes over and the way that the Braves handled him, he became a different pitcher and, and better for that few year stretch. What is the Braves way or what was it?
1: It was simple. Uh, we threw a lot. We had two bullpen sessions. We commanded the outside part of the plate and we dominated outside part of the plate. We worked for strike one, make these things work as Leo would always say. Uh, we pitched ahead. We pitched fast. Um, but it was a simple philosophy that back then, the way that hitting and style of hitting was, you could flourish. I still think it would work today because I still think even though pitchers uh, may not have the um, – they're not taught to be accurate. They're just taught to be dominant. There's a difference. Uh, we were taught to be more accurate and pitch longer. So hitters can still go the other way with power more so today than ever before. But there's also more swing and miss than ever before. Yeah. So you can still be successful in that philosophy.
0: Uh, on Saturday, you are calling that game, Garrett Cole was dominating and ended up coming out earlier than I think most would have imagined. And it turns out it was due to cramping. And I think people hear that and hear you and Joe Davis talking about that and think, seriously, it comes out because of a cramp that is not anything that you can mess around with. Um, is it something that you ever experienced in your career?
1: Fortunately, I never did. Um, it's the worst feeling in the world for a pitcher. You can't have your calves cramp, your fingers cramp, nothing. Those are usually the two areas. And then if you feel like you're cramping, there's very little you can do as a baseball player. So, you know, normally it happens when it's really hot out or sometimes dry. Uh, this could have been a rarity for him and maybe it was the travel but i've been around pitchers who had to get ivs uh sometimes in the postseason in between innings uh but those those are rarities and you know it's your body composition that sometimes either the days leading into it rarely is that day but the days leading into a start are very important from hydration to how you, you know, your food consumption, all those things are important. We take for granted, you know, pitchers get a lot of grief about once every five days, but that fifth day is so important that you got to have a lot of things working for you that day. And yes, he came out earlier than I'm sure
0: any other start because he was dominant. Would you golf on that fifth day or would you take that fifth day to yourself?
1: No. Yeah. We weren't allowed to, you know, we weren't allowed to golf the day we pitched. We almost one time when we had uh, the, the league, um, uh, Secured up in the division title yeah. already in hand. We talked we talked about what would that be like trying it, but we never did because <laughs> it was a rule that we never wanted to uh, break. But if there was a time to break it is when the division was wrapped up. We're in the postseason and we're kind of getting our starts in. Uh, but you know, I did golf a lot the day I pitched as a closer because you just don't know yeah. when you're gonna when you're gonna pitch. And that's a total different animal because it's one inning and it's that night. And um I answered all those potential problems after year one saving 55 games no one talked to me again about uh whether golf was going to be an issue
0: or not uh so you said you never had to come out of a game due to cramping but what is the most unique reason you ever had to be removed from a game or maybe a, a player or somebody else if you have if you don't have a crazy one
1: yeah yeah you know for me um i was pretty stubborn and probably to a fault and i learned that over time i um And it wasn't, it was my competitiveness. It wasn't more or less because I was trying to chase a win. Mm. Although that has something to do with it in your competitiveness. I had pulled my hamstring pretty bad and I had a nine run lead. And I mean that I got it wrapped like you wouldn't believe I had a, it, it felt like my leg weighed 60 pounds. And I, um, I love me some Adam Laroche but I got so many Adam Laroche stories that it just make your head spin because he just he he was there but sometimes he wasn't and I told him I said I can't cover first you have to get to everything do you understand he goes yes I understand well there was a very next play there was a ground ball right to him and he had no ambition of going to first i had stopped and he fielded the ball and got into an underhand position i'm like oh no and i tried to take off which is the worst thing with <laughs> with a hamstring you've tweaked and i mean got to the base dropped the ball came out of the game and we ended up losing that baseball game believe it or not it was in Wrigley Field
0: you were up 9 and
1: i we were up 9 early and i was what it was a, it was a big lead it was close to that number yeah and i've never been so disappointed and mad at the same time now i didn't miss, miss my next start but i did a lot of dumb things where um you know i got a tag play in washington at home plate where the runner was clearly out by 10 feet and as he was coming in i don't understand how i this even happened i don't even understand how as i tagged him my finger is still to this day is crooked you can see it was dislocated as i Took the ball out of the glove. My finger was pointing the wrong way.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And I just thought my season was over. It was broke. I got so mad. I thought the runner did it. It was Austin Kearns, I believe, even know one of the nicest guys. I lost my mind. Like, I thought he did it on purpose. I'm shaking my hand. I'm like, my season's done. Well, it wasn't broken. It was dislocated. It popped it back in. And I told them I could make my start. I told him, there's no problem. I'll make my start. And I threw a bullpen. Do you know your pinky whips every time you throw a baseball? (laughs) Like, I didn't think it would be that big a deal. Again, going on the pitchers, you know, we get a lot of grief. Well, I made that start like a dummy. And I ended up hurting my shoulder because I went to the plate saying I would not swing. And I Uh. decided to swing at the last minute, jarred my finger again. I, I... Just dumb. But I left the game with an injury and spent more time because of a shoulder injury. That all started with a dumb pinky that got dislocated. So I've had my share of of dumb injuries, but tried to pitch through most of them and was successful except for
0: this time. Did you give Adam LaRoche a little piece of your mind after that play or after the game?
1: I'll be honest. I never did this. But one time in my career, I went to, and he may not even know this, but I went to the manager and I said, "Next time I start, you know I love Adam. He's one of my i i i love him to death. I just need a day off from him in that game." <laughs> and he gave Adam the day off the next time I finished the rest of the year. But it was it was too fresh on my mind. It was like, "Do you understand? I can't cover first. I understand. Take it all." And he just forgot. And <laughs> you know, yeah. So that was that was uh, a one game kind of like. Uh, you know, day
0: off. Yep. John, currently in in baseball, we see uh, Fernando Tatis back after the suspension he went through. And on the road, we're seeing him get a lot of heckling from fans, a lot of cheers, a lot of funny cheers, but he has handled it extremely well of course he's of course we knew he would he was becoming one of the faces of baseball when he very much so messed up yeah. and, and has to live with the consequences which is clearly going to be people heckling him on the road but my question to you is what is some of the best heckling that we have that you ever saw on the road in your career
1: well i've seen a lot and there's been a lot that happened it, it was great it happened to me game one of the world series in 1996, the fans heckled me in places and stuff that I didn't think they would ever know. Like, I didn't think anybody in the world knew I played the accordion. So when that came out, I was, I had to step back and go, (laughs) okay, you got me. Um, How did you find that out? And, 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 and how did you get that? But I thought the most interesting one, because it shocked me at the time, you know, you take for granted your teammates, you know, everybody by nicknames. You, you don't really know their middle names. You don't know anything else other than, um, and the Shea stadium started chanting, Larry, Larry, Larry. And I'm like, who's Larry. (laughs) And, and that's Chipper Jones. Yeah. That's his name, Larry. Right. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And so forever he was known for Larry. And, and what he did about it is all he went to is the next level and dominated the New York Mets in his career and named one of his children Shay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you combat, you know, a fan base that's getting on you because of your first name. But it was definitely unique. Um, the New York crowd, the Philly crowd, they're, they're in a special class when yeah. it comes to how they heckle. And why not? Try to get on the nerves and yeah. get under the skin of the,
0: you know, the visiting team. Did the accordion thing get under your skin? I need to know about this accordion.
1: No, I laughed. I (laughs) laughed. I I, look, I grew up uh, in a musical family and I played for about four years and won some trophies, I guess. My parents said I was pretty
0: good. (laughs) Won some trophies, I guess. That is so come on. You were pretty good. How
1: do you? Yeah. But how do you remember at four? I'm on a stage with like eight and nine year olds as a four year old. And this accordion's bigger than me. And it's a very prideful and rich uh, family history of accordion players, so I was going to be the heir apparent, and and I just did what my parents, you know, you know, prepared me to do, and and that was a small part of my life, and then I played baseball ever since. I asked them to, and i were, you know, at seven I put it down. But how somebody could find that out and rag me in a in game one of the World Series, I step back and laughed and go, "That's <laughs> awesome!" Like you. <laughs> You got me. I I didn't expect to hear that (laughs) when I'm getting ready for one of the biggest games, you know, that I'm going to pitch.
0: That is great. John, always a lot of fun, my friend. Thank you for joining me. And uh, until next week, you got it. My pleasure. All right. See you, bud. All right. Thanks again to John Smoltz for joining me. Always a blast. But this week, I swear I was in tears laughing at points. I mean, just hysterical stories. The covering first, Adam LaRose just realizing, not realizing he needed to run to the base himself. Him being pissed. I I think it's funny that Adam might not even know this story, but John did not want him in the lineup that next time he pitched. And then the heckling. That's great. Of course, the the Chipper Jones stuff in, in Shea Stadium and naming his kid Shea, that's all become now pretty public information. But, I mean, hysterical at the time that he was getting called Larry, and John was like, wait, wait, what? Who's Larry? Uh, just a great conversation, as always. I really enjoy Saturday with Smoltz. Being able to be joined by a Hall of Famer once a week is really cool, and I hope you all appreciate it as well. This one has been a blast. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcast: Apple, Spotify, wherever. We're also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can watch everything we do on YouTube at flipping bats pod for all of them thank you again my friends until monday this has been another episode of flipping bats peace